We're at the end of Mary Poppins, Chapter 12, West Wind. It was the first day of spring. Jane and Michael knew this at once because they heard Mr. Banks singing in his bath, and there was only one day in the year when he did that. They always remembered that particular morning. For one thing, it was the first time they were allowed to come downstairs for breakfast, and for another, Mr. Banks lost his black bag, so that the day began with two extraordinary happenings. "'Where is my bag?' shouted Mr. Banks, turning round and round in the hall like a dog chasing its tail. And everybody else began running around and around, too. Ellen and Mrs. Brill and the children. Even Roberts and I made a special effort and turned round twice. At last, Mr. Banks discovered the bag himself in his study, and he rushed into the hall with it, holding it aloft. Now, he said, as though he were delivering a sermon, my bag is always kept in one place, here on the umbrella stand. Who put it in the study, he roared. You did, my dear, when you took the income tax papers out of it last night, said Mrs. Banks. Mr. Banks gave her such a hurt look that she wished she had been less tactless and had said she had put it there herself. <laughs> He said, blowing his nose very hard and taking his overcoat from its peg. He walked with it to the door. Hello, he said more cheerfully. The parrot tulips are in bud. He went into the garden and sniffed the air. Hmm, winds in the west, I think. He looked down towards Admiral Boom's house, where the telescope weathercock swung. I thought so, he said. Westerly weather, bright and balmy. I won't take an overcoat. And with that, he picked up his bag and his bowler hat and hurried away to the city. Did you hear what he said? Michael grabbed Jane's arm. She nodded. The wind's in the west, she said slowly. Neither of them said any more, but there was a thought in each of their minds that they wished was not there. They forgot it soon, however, for everything seemed to be as it always was, and the spring sunlight lit up the house so beautifully that nobody remembered it needed a coat of paint and new wallpapers. On the contrary, they all found themselves thinking that it was the best house in Cherry Tree Lane. But trouble began after luncheon. Jane had gone down to dig in the garden with Robertson I. She had just sown a row of reddish seed when she heard a great commotion in the nursery and the sound of hurrying footsteps in the in the hall. Presently, Mi- Michael appeared, very red in the face and panting loudly. Look, Jane, look! he cried and held out his hand. Within it lay Mary Poppins' compass, with the disc frantically swinging round the arrow as it trembled in Michael's shaking hand. The compass? said Jane, and looked at him questioningly. Michael suddenly burst into tears. She gave it to me, he wept. She said I could have it all for myself now. Oh, oh, there must be something wrong. What is going to happen? She has never given me anything before. Perhaps she was only being nice to Jane to soothe them, but in her heart she felt as disturbed as Michael was. She knew very well that Mary Poppins never wasted time in being nice. And yet, strange to say, during that afternoon Mary Poppins never said a cross word. 
Indeed, she hardly said a word at all. She seemed to be thinking very deeply, and when they asked questions, she answered them in a faraway voice. At last, Michael could hear, could bear it no longer. Oh, do be cross, Mary Poppins. Do be cross again. It is not like you. Oh, I feel so anxious. And indeed, his heart felt heavy with the thought that something he did not quite know what was about to happen at number 17, Cherry Tree Lane. Trouble, trouble, and it will trouble you, retorted Mary Poppins crossly in her usual voice, and immediately he felt a little better. Perhaps it's only a feeling, he said to Jane. Perhaps everything is all right and I'm just imagining. Don't you think so, Jane? Probably, said Jane slowly, but she was thinking hard and her heart felt tight in her body. The wind grew wilder towards evening and blew in little gusts about the house. It went puffing and whistling down the chimneys, slipping in through the cracks under the windows, turning the nursery carpet up at the corners. Mary Poppins gave them their supper and cleared away the things, stacking them neatly and methodically. Then she tidied up the nursery and put the kettle on the bob, on the hob. There, she said, glancing round the room to see that everything was all right. She was silent for a minute. Then she put one hand lightly on Michael's head and the other on Jane's shoulder. Now, she said, I am just going to take the shoes down for Robert's and I to clean. Behave yourselves, please, till I come back. She went out and shut the door quietly behind her. Suddenly, as she went, they both felt they must run after her, but something seemed to stop them. They remained quiet with their elbows on the table waiting for her to come back. Each was trying to reassure the other without saying anything. How silly we are, said Jane presently. Everything's all right. But she knew that she said it more to, com to comfort Michael than because she thought it was true. The nursery clock ticked loudly from the mantelpiece. The fire flickered and crackled and slowly died down. They still sat there at the table, waiting. At last, Michael said uneasily, She's been gone a long, very long time, hasn't she? The wind whistled and cried about the house as if in reply. The clock went on ticking its solemn double note. Suddenly, the silence was broken by the sound of the front door shutting with a loud bang. Michael, said Jane, starting up. Jane, said Michael, with a white, anxious look on his face. They listened. Then they ran quickly to the window and looked out. Down below, just outside the front door, stood Mary Poppins, dressed in her coat and hat, with her carpet bag in one hand and her umbrella in the other. The wind was blowing wildly about her, tugging at her skirt, tilting her hat rakishly to one side. But it seemed to Jane and Michael that she did not mind, for she smiled as though she and the wind understood each other. She paused for a moment on the step and glanced back towards the front door. Then, with a quick movement, she opened the umbrella, though it was not raining, and thrust it over her head. The wind 
with a wild cry, slipped under the umbrella, pressing it upwards as though trying to force it out of Mary Poppins' hand. But she held on tightly, and that, apparently, was what the wind wanted her to do, for presently it lifted the umbrella higher into the air and Mary Poppins from the ground. It carried her lightly so that her toes just grazed along the garden path. Then it lifted her over the front gate and swept her upwards towards the branches of the cherry trees in the lane. She's going, Jane, she's going, cried Michael, weeping. Quick, cried Jane, let us get the twins. They must see the last of her. She had no doubt now, nor had Michael, that Mary Poppins had gone for good because the wind had changed. They each seized the twin and rushed back to the window. Mary Poppins was in the upper air now, floating away over the cherry trees and the roofs of the houses, holding tightly to the umbrella with one hand and to the carpet bag with the other. The twins began to cry quietly. With their free hands, Jane and Michael opened the window and made one last effort to stay Mary Poppins' flight. Mary Poppins, they cried. Mary Poppins, come look, come back. But she either did not hear or deliberately took no notice, for she went sailing on and on up into the cloud, cloudy, whistling air, till at last she was wafted away over the hill, and the children could see nothing but the trees bending and moaning under the wild west wind. She did what she did, what she said she would do anyway. She stayed till the wind changed, said Jane, sighing and turning sadly from the window. She took John to his cot and put him into it. Michael said nothing, but as he brought Barbara back and tucked her into bed, he was sniffing uncomfortably. I wonder, said Jane, if we'll ever see her again. Suddenly they heard voices on the stairs. Children, children, Mrs. Banks was calling as she opened the door. Children, I am very cross. Mary Poppins has left us. Yes, said Jane and Michael. You knew then, said Mrs. Banks, rather surprised. Did she tell you she was going? They shook their heads and Mrs. Banks went on. It's outrageous. One minute here and gone the next. Not even an apology. Simply said, I'm going. And off she went. Anything more preposterous, more thoughtless, more discourteous? What is it, Michael? She broke off crossly, for Michael had grasped her skirt in his hands and was shaking her. What is it, child? Did she say she'd come back, he cried, nearly knocking his mother over. Tell me, did she? You will not behave like a... A red Indian, Michael, she said, loosening his hold. I don't remember what she said, except that she was going. But I certainly shan't have her back if she does want to come, leaving me high and dry with nobody to help me and without a word of notice. Oh, mother, said Jane reproachfully. You are a very cruel woman, said Michael, clenching his fist as though at any minute he would have to strike her. Children, I am ashamed of you, really I am. To want back anybody who has treated your mother so badly, I'm utterly shocked. Jane burst into tears. Mary Poppins is the only person I want in the world, Michael wailed and flung himself onto the floor. 
Really, children, really, really, I don't understand you. Do be good, I beg of you. There's nobody to look after you tonight. I have to go out to dinner, and it's Ellen's day off. I shall have to send Mrs. Brill up. And she kissed them absentmindedly and went away with an anxious little line on her forehead. Well, if I ever did, her going away and leaving you poor little children in the lurch like that, said Mrs. Brill a moment later, bustling in and settling, setting to work on them. A heart of stone, that's what that girl had, and no mistake, or my name's not Clara Brill. Always keeping herself to herself, too, and not even a lace handkerchief or a hat pin to remember her by. Get up, will you please, Master Michael? Mrs. Bell went on panting heavily. How we stood her so long, I don't know, with her airs and graces and all. What a lot of buttons! Miss Jane, stand still, do now, and let me undress you. Master Michael, plain she was, too, nothing much to look at. Indeed, all things considered, I don't know that we won't be better off after all. Now, Miss Jane, where's your nightgown? Why, what's this under your pillow? Mrs. Brill had drawn out a small, knobbly parcel. What is it? Give it to me, give it, said Jane, trembling with excitement, and she took it from Mrs. Brill's hands very quickly. Michael came and stood near her and watched her until undo the string and tear away the brown paper. Mrs. Brill, without waiting to see what emerged from the package, went into the twins. The last wrapping fell to the floor, and the thing that was in the parcel lay in Jane's hand. It's her picture, she said in a whisper, looking closely at it. And it was. Indeed, a little curly frame was a painting of Mary Poppins. And underneath it was written, Mary Poppins by Bert. That's the matchman. He did it, said Michael, and took it in his hand so that he could have a better look. Jane found suddenly that there was a letter attached to the painting. She unfolded it carefully. It ran, Dear Jane, Michael had the compass, so the picture is for you. Au revoir, Mary Poppins, signed it. She read it out loud till she came to the words she couldn't understand. Mrs. Brill, she called, what does au revoir mean? Au revoir, dearie? shrieked Mrs. Brill from the next room. Why, it doesn't mean, let me see. I'm not up in these foreign tongues. Doesn't it mean, God bless you? No, no, I'm wrong. I think, Miss Jane, dear, it means to meet again. Jane and Michael looked at each other. Joy and understanding shone in their eyes. They knew what Mary Poppins meant. Michael gave a long sigh of relief. That's all right, he said shakily. She always does what she says she will. He turned away. Michael, are you crying? Jane asked. He twisted his head and tried to smile at her. No, I am not, he said. It's only my eyes. She pushed him gently toward his bed. And as he got in, she slipped the portrait of Mary Poppins into his hand, hurriedly, in case she should regret it. You have it for tonight, darling, whispered Jane, and she tucked him in just as Mary Poppins used to.